You're listening to the song Great Basin by 84 Tigers off of their upcoming record, Time in the Lighthouse. It releases on October 21st on Spartan Records. Pre-orders are actually up now at SpartanRecords.com. You can grab yourself a copy on vinyl, which I have to say, one of the variants is already sold out. There are two more to get in on, so if you are a vinyl collector, do not miss out on that. This album is going to be fantastic. You could also grab yourself a merch bundle, including a t-shirt, 84 Tigers pennant, and a custom coffee roast with Rootless Coffee out of Flint, Michigan. I honestly think the little pennants are pretty awesome because, of course, the, the band name comes from the 1984 Detroit Tigers. So a pennant, a championship pennant? It's pretty fitting. Looks pretty rad. 84 Tigers is a new band featuring Mike and Ben Reed, formerly of Small Brown Bike. So if you're listening to this going, I recognize that voice, that could be why. As well as John O'Diener, formerly of the band The Swellers. So go grab your pre-orders right now over at SpartanRecords.com. And in June of 2020, I woke up in the middle of the night and realized that I had appendicitis. So I get uh, rushed to the, to the ER, have my surgery. And during my recovery, while I'm hopped up on pain meds, I'm talking to this girl. Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. My friend is Aaron. This week's episode, I discover the band Red Weather. Red Weather is best described as an emo band or an emo-adjacent band from Virginia Beach. And in this episode, I had the opportunity to hang out with Tim Allardy, who plays bass and sings in the band. Tim brought three songs that influenced him, as well as three Red Weather songs from their Empty Places EP, as well as their full length, Wish You Well, which came out on 4 for 4 just last year. If you haven't listened to it yet, obviously you're going to listen to this episode and you're going to go, yeah, I actually want to go listen to that record. So they're available on all streaming services, on Bandcamp. That kind of stuff is linked in the show notes. Speaking of links, these are also all linked in the show notes, but you can I'm just going to tell you where you can find them anyways. Go follow us on social media at Growing Punk Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find the links to mine and Aaron's personal Twitters and Instagrams there as well. Uh, you can show us some support on Patreon. A couple bucks a month in general support helps keep the show going, and uh, you can also go grab some merch. We've got t-shirts and stuff up for grabs. And speaking of merch don't forget that you can save 15 percent on your next order with northern scene by using the promo code growing up that's all lowercase letters one word growing up or follow the link in our show notes which i mentioned a moment ago if you're looking to bolster your punk and hardcore vinyl collection check out northern scene at northernscene.net or on instagram at northernscene.store all right that's enough out of me. That's enough housekeeping. Let's get into this. Let's not waste any more time. This is my conversation with Tim Alardi discovering Red Weather. Hey, 
one, two. Yeah, so why don't we uh, start kind of back at the beginning. Do you remember the first band, the first album or song, what have you, that kind of introduced you to the whole world of punk and hardcore, post-hardcore, that kind of stuff? Oh, man. Um, so I remember when I was in probably sixth grade, um, I've got an older brother. He's ten year, uh, seven years older than I am, seven and a half. Right. And uh, I remember driving back from uh high school or college something it was a long road trip just me and him and i remember him playing um metallica for me mm -hmm. and that was kind of my introdu introduction to you know i mean it's, they're fairly popular um but at the sure. time they were a little bit less so um and that was my first introduction to i would say underground ish music yeah. um it was kill all, it was kill them all so it wasn't like their mainstream yeah i was gonna time. say clearly it was before the black album <laughs> it was yes yeah, yeah yeah uh that's pretty rad so how old would you have been at that time i was probably like 12 13 something like that right. um prior to that uh i was still you know basically listening to whatever was on the radio at the time mm -hmm. um i remember growing up with like boys to men and all for one and stuff nice. like that. yeah yeah <laughs> boys to men is it's funny because uh i can like vividly remember the day my family bought like their first cd player right like we had a turntable forever and i can remember like my parents having records and whatever but it was it was a big day when we were going to we had like cassette deck before that too but it was a big day when we were going to buy uh our first cd player and so my dad was like did his research. We're going to get this five disc changer made by Panasonic. It's got, you know, the CD changer. It's got the whole, you know, like preamp with EQ and speakers and all this stuff. Right. And so we went and bought it. We were like, well, my, my parents were like, clearly we need CDs. We need at least five <laughs> CDs. We have a five disc changer. And so in that stack, we bought, um, we each kind of got to pick one. And then I think I'm trying to remember what they all were because there must have been maybe we only bought four. We were a family of four, so maybe we didn't get five. But I can remember specifically, my dad got Eric Clapton unplugged, my sister got Montel Jordan uh, with like this is how we do it on it and stuff like that. Yeah. I bought the Batman Forever soundtrack, which is interesting because like that I think it was Batman Forever that like introduced me to like Sunny Day Real Estate and The Offspring were on there and stuff like okay. that, which was rad. And then. Um, I'm assuming it would have been my mom picked a boys to men CD. And so like boys to men for me too, was like kind of a constant once CDs were in my life, my, they were, they were always kicking around. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, my, my purchases, uh, my first purchases, purchases as CDs, um, whether green day offspring, uh, Weezer, the blue album, um, and live nice. <laughs> throwing copper. Yeah. And, Counting Crows, uh, August and everything after. Yeah. Um, so those are my, my first purchases. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Cause like my, my first purchases, like with my own money, uh, it would have been things like MXPX, uh, some mm -hmm. of their, some of their records, like they were kind of that first band that I like really dove into. Cause like I had yeah. friends who had like all like the Green Day albums, the offspring, stuff like that. So um, they were always a constant there as well. But as far as like my own, you know, like lawnmower money or however I was making it at that time, it was like MXPX was kind of that gateway band for me. Life in general? Um, well, the first one I would have bought 
was actually Teenage Politics because the oh, song, nice. yeah, the song Teenage Politics was what kind of, I had a cousin who was the same age and she had an older uh, stepbrother that was, they were kind of into that whole world. And so that's how I first heard about MXPX and uh, eventually, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, life in general was out, but because the song Teenage Politics, that was the first one. And then it was like as much as I could buy, you know, like. Uh, yeah, I definitely remember my parents taking me to heaven and earth. And yeah. letting me go wild by yeah. MXPX, and like 90-pound wuss, and Classic, all yeah. those bands. Yeah, yeah, like MXPX Slick Shoes, I think, was maybe like the next one that I was sort of like uh, found my way into. Just all those tooth and nail bands early on. And then, because uh, sure. yeah, like I, I grew up in a home where, um, you know, it was like, it, it's funny now to think about, but there was a time where, you know, my parents would be like, no, you can't listen to this. Like I had uh, an Aerosmith Get a Grip tape like on cassette i remember buying it uh on it like i went on a summer my grandparents live in nova scotia and i went on a summer vacation where it was like myself and my sister we went to nova scotia when i was probably in grade five or six i can't remember but i came back with a bon jovi cassette and aerosmith and my mom threw them out <laughs> uh, which was funny but she actually i told her that story years later and she actually in the mail sent me a copy of get a grip on like cd she's like i'm sorry i'm like i don't care it's Please. actually funny to me so um yeah do you, so what um i guess what kind of got you into do you remember like the first band or anything that kind of like made you want to pick up an instrument and play or how did that were you, did, were you raised in a musical family how did that come about yeah, I mean, my dad plays guitar and bass, um, but growing up, he didn't really play too much. It wasn't until like after I went away to college that he picked one back up and started playing like at the church and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I guess music was always around, listening to it, that kind of thing. And I think it was that same trip with my brother, listening mm -hmm. to Metallica, listening to uh, the bass solo on Kill 'Em All. Right. I was like. Yeah. I, I want to do what that guy's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's. And it's funny because like I don't listen to Metallica at all anymore, but it, right. that was kind of like the gateway at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, there was a window where I could remember hanging out with uh, one one friend in particular, and we were just like all about binging like the classic Metallica stuff. And this would have been like I want to say this was around the time that they released like their the first S&M record. So it was like what was that late 90s early 2000s I think that that came out yeah. but um but I think there That's was like a, a live album or something that was called Binge and Purge or something like that that was like all these old like you know from you know Kill 'em All or Ride the Lightning Master of Puppets like those earlier mm -hmm. Metallica records where it was just like fast and aggressive. Um, and that's what we, we listened to it a whole bunch, but yeah, same thing. Like I don't really listen to Metallica now either. Although mm -hmm. I really appreciate the fact that they like, I don't know if they did it for every record, but they have so many records where they have like documentaries about the making of the record and just watching some of their like writing processes. It's pretty wild. Yeah, for sure. So I guess stemming yeah. from there. Um, so after that trip, I was coming back to um, live in Virginia where I am now. Um, and my best friend at the time was into skateboarding and punk rock and stuff like that. So he was kind of a gateway into no effects and propaganda yeah. and dead Kennedy's and like all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was kind of my next musical step from Metallica. Okay. This is probably harder 
than yeah. what I can play <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to punk rock, which I was like, okay, I can learn how to do this. Speed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. No. And I mean, like that's same thing, right? Like I, I play, I, I mean, I guess I still play guitar, even though I don't know the last time I picked it up just with the busyness of life, but playing in bands in my younger years and whatever, that was the same thing. Like I was, I personally, I, I mean, I don't know what level of, you know, like musicianship you're at now, but like I personally was never the greatest guitar player, right? I was like, I could get by and I could write songs and I had fun doing it, but I was like, never going to start shredding, you know, or anything like that. So punk rock was just like right in my, uh, right in my, like my, my sweet spot. Absolutely. I'm For the same sure. way. I'm, I'm never going to be a shredder. I'm still yeah. not a shredder. You're like, that's um, why I play bass. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is funny. Cause like, so was bass like kind of the instrument that you were just naturally drawn to because in like any bands that I had, we always had to like kind of almost convert someone to a bass player. Like everyone wanted to play guitar. Right. And it was like, Oh, we need a bass player. Oh, I got a bass too. So I guess I'll play like, um, so was, was that your instrument of choice from the get go? I honestly don't remember why I chose bass. I think we probably, we just had a group of friends and I was, <laughs> the de facto bass player because I didn't already play an instrument. Right. So yeah. kind of, kind of same thing. I yeah. was converted from a non-musician into a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a slight against bass players. <laughs> not at all. No. Respect uh, the hell out of you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I love it. I mean, there've been some, some standout bass players in, you know, we've, we've mentioned a few bands that have like bass players with that very distinct, you know, kind of style. So who were some of those, those bass players maybe that you grew up on that you were first like, man, I kind of want to do that. So fat Mike, um, no effects. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I was in high school, rage was really big. So Timmy C the bass player, like I, I grew up like learning those bass riffs because they were, you know, pretty intricate and they had a good groove to them. They stood out in the song. Um, so it was always cool to be able to, if you, if you play like, I don't know, uh, like, a I guess green day is a bad example, but if you, if you play a standard punk, punk song, like you're not going to know, Oh, that's from that song. But if you play right. a rage line, people know what that is. So it's yeah. easy to show off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like going back to your comments about kind of a standard punk. So I think when, when a, when a bass player is just playing like standard eight note, eighth notes, it's like, yeah, you're not going to. Yeah be able to really pick much out of it but you know you mentioned green day and obviously like mike dirt was one of those bass players who had a very uh you know like specific style right like um, for sure he was a terrible example he's a great bass player (laughs) he's just the first one that came to mind exactly Um, but back to rage do you have a, a favorite rage record that you could like hands down say this is the one i mean evil empire is i think right on yeah the best but um yeah, I mean, I, Freedom was always a song that I picked up, mm. and I still play that to this day. When I pick yeah. up a new bass, I want I want to hear how Freedom sounds on that song on, right. the, on a yeah. new bass. So yeah, that's sweet. Um, it's funny because like not like I mean, I mean I guess Renegades would be my least favorite Rage record, but mm. uh, but um, Evil Empire that was the one that really introduced me to Rage Against the Machine. Um, mm-hmm especially bulls on parade was like, I remember seeing that video and hearing that song when I was in grade six and being like, what is this? Like, this is amazing. But uh, yeah. I actually really like battle of Los Angeles as my, my kind of like go-to if I'm going to put one on. Cause yeah. I just feel like that was when all of those musicians 
and performers were like at their peak, you know, and yeah, then they were just true. like, all right, here's a covers record and we're done. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, ah, I actually, I have yep. tickets. I have tickets to see them. I've had tickets now for several years because uh, they were, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, they were supposed to play. It was, uh, I think originally it was like summer of 2020 and then obviously that got kiboshed and then they rescheduled it a few times. They've yet to cancel it. So I still hold hope that I'm like, I think right now it's literally scheduled for like 2023 though. Like they're like, we're going to go further down the line, but let's get into, yeah, really. um, let's get into some of the songs that you picked. I asked you yeah, to, sure. uh, suggest two to three songs that, uh, influenced you as well as two to three uh red weather songs that you wanted to talk about so we'll get into the influential songs first uh and you actually mentioned this band and this album uh a moment ago or a few minutes ago now uh so off the uh i guess 1993 that blows my mind i thought it was a a few years later than that but here we are um off the album (laughs) august and everything after this is uh raining in baltimore by counting crows the circus is falling down on its knees The big top is crumbling down It's raining in Baltimore Fifty miles east Where you should be No one's around I need a phone call What would you change? 
It's hard not to uh, get lost in that song. <laughs> For real. It's yeah. so good. Every time I hear it, it's just gives me shivers. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like it. Um, so when, when we were uh, messaging back and forth, you said, oh, I'm probably as weird as this might sound. I'm probably going to pick a song off of uh, August and everything after. And I, and so I, I said raining in Baltimore um, <laughs> because yeah. that's my like for sure, like go to song on that record, that record, top to bottom is uh it's so good it's so good it really is it's got to be one of those one of those records in the 90s where like yeah it's got all these hits on it but even the like the the songs that weren't singles are just so good like the 90s were obviously known as there's so many like you know one hit wonders of bands you know all over the Mm -hmm. place with songs that that did well one here and one there but um that record top to bottom is so good I had, so a trouble, I had trouble picking between raining, uh, raining in Baltimore and it begins and, yeah. um, perfect, perfect blue buildings. Yeah. And those are like, those other two are not singles at all. They're just amazing songs. Yeah. I always tell people this is the best emo record that isn't <laughs> an emo record. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. I mean, that's fair. There are definite elements on that record that I think for sure also influenced bands down the road. Um, were you ever into the band deer in the headlights? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So their their album, I think it was, was it Small Steps, Heavy Hooves, I think it was called. The first time mm-hmm. I heard that record, I was like, yo, this sounds like Counting Crows, <laughs> like doing an emo band, like straight up, you know, like emo post-rock or post-hardcore yeah. sort of thing. Um, yeah. And you could even hear like Andrew McMahon doing something like Raining in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I could, I could easily make that jump. And yeah. as far as like influence and the scene in general, like between the buried and me, their yeah. name comes from this album. <laughs> I don't know if I realized that actually. That's that's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's pretty rad. Um, yeah, this this record is is interesting because uh, I mean, for the longest time, like I I knew this the singles or at least most of the singles on it. Uh, but it was actually the bass player in my very first band that he was the same thing. He's like, man, you got to listen to this record. And so for the longest time, the copy that I had was one that he had loaned me, like back in. 
oh, it was probably 2000 or whatever. And then I just, <laughs> I never gave it back. Um, I don't know that that was on purpose, but I often like when people are like, dude, you need to listen to this or you need to watch this. I'm like, if I don't ask you for it, just be warned. You might not get it back. <laughs> like if you're like, you have to watch this here, watch this movie. Like, um, I have a couple movies from a buddy back in the day, you know, before streaming services were a thing where he like loaned me these DVDs and I still have them because I'm like, I, I guess, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I've got a stack upstairs myself. So yeah, I feel yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But that, that CD I've, I think maybe the copy I have is still his copy. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, Kane, if you're out there in the ether somewhere listening, um, <laughs> I've got it. If you're looking for August and everything after, I still have it. Uh, but so why, I guess, why did you pick this song as, you know, one of the ones that influenced you? I guess going through the, the plague years, as I call them, <laughs> the the theme of the song seems to kind of be like needing an escape, wanting a change. Right. Um, so I just kind of identified that with that on yeah. a, you know, another listen through when I was preparing to, to give you a song list. Um, yeah. yeah, it just hit me. And especially when you said it, I knew you knew it and yeah, you'd yeah. probably want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just such a beautiful song, man. Like, it, um, it I don't, I don't remember specifically where it sits on the record, but I just know like every time it comes on, I'm just like, I get, it's, it's so, near the end. yeah, it's so funny. Cause I was listening to it today on uh, my way into work and you know, like in the car, oftentimes a song will come on and if I'm like really feeling, you know, you just kind of keep turning the volume up, but usually like those song, those are, you know, songs that are, they go in some way. Right. Whereas this one just like steady stays just a piano. So it feels like weird to just want to keep turning it up. But at the same point, I'm like, it's just such a good song, you know? So yeah. it's like, here I am crying on my way to work, singing raining exactly. in Baltimore, you know, like turn, cranked up to 11, but. And know. then the accordion comes in yeah. and it doesn't sound funny or weird. It just yeah. sounds perfect. It actually <laughs> reminds me. Yeah. The accordion reminds me a little bit of Nirvana's unplugged album. Um, when Chris Novoselic gets up at one point and he plays, I don't remember specifically which song it's on, but he plays the accordion on, on a song. And I'm like, oh yeah. yeah. Like it just has this kind of like, and I mean, those would have been right around the same time, you know, like that record mm -hmm. came out in 93. Uh, I don't remember when the unplugged record came out, maybe a little bit after that, but, um, yeah, it, it's, that's, that's where I go every time I hear mm -hmm. that come in. Cause that's what I would have, I'm pretty sure I heard Nirvana's unplugged, at least like paying attention to it before I would have heard raining right, in Baltimore. Yeah. Right. Even if raining in Baltimore came out before that, like Nirvana was just everywhere. Right. Like, mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, man, no, I was, I, I just threw the song out there. Cause I'm like, yeah, that's one of my favorites. Even though after I said it, I was like, is that one of my favorites on the, I, cause I like started thinking about how good it is, but it's always such a good song to listen to. Um, yeah, so the next song you picked uh, actually comes... This one was a, a little different because the version that I listened to is not the version that you picked, uh, but, well, they're, they're fairly similar in a way, mm -hmm. but you picked uh, the song A Newfound Interest in Massachusetts by the Get Up Kids.
I love the sound of, you know, those emo and post-hardcore records of that time. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like production, production-wise, obviously, like it's not great production by any means, but um, I just love. I don't know. I love the fact that, like, right at the end there, as he's kind of playing that octave riff, there's a very obvious, you know, screw up in it, and it's, it doesn't doesn't take away anything from the song. In fact, it just like adds kind of to the song. Um, yeah, like you love the imperfections, and you know, bands don't really do that at all anymore. It's about all about making it sound like it's a million dollar record right. when you made it in your basement. And it still sounds as good as the stuff that's coming out on the radio, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. People just um, don't do that anymore, and it's it's just cool to hear, especially. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, no. Getting to interview Matt Pryor a uh, number a few months ago was just like one of those ones where I was like, "Man, do I have some questions?" Uh, <laughs> you know, it was just like a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, yeah, those songs because the He's, Get Up Kids will forever be one of those bands that are just like always one you know that that i'll go back to sort of thing right and i think i've actually grown my appreciation for them has grown more over time than even in that period like that song came out in 97 so it came out before i was really aware of the band as it were but um still like to go back and listen to those older records and say "Ah, i love that band um if i had to pick one if i had to pick one singer songwriter to say it was my biggest influence would be Matt Pryor for sure. That's um, fair. So I, I had to include the Get Up Kids yeah, <laughs> in this yeah. list. So um, why why that song in particular though? I love a like we talked about the imperfections of it. Uh, yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Like it's it's so cool to go back and listen to a record like that and hear the little mistakes here and there, and it just sounds right. Yeah. Um, um, and I just love the, the, it's kind of a deeper cut, but I love the builds and the swells. Mm-hmm. Um, like when it first has the, the big, um, part where it kind of swells at the beginning and you hear a little guitar squeal and stuff like that. Yeah. It just, it, it's, it works perfectly. Yeah. I, I also <laughs> if they, like, if they re-recorded it now, like with all the gadgets, it just wouldn't be the same, you know? Yeah. Well, and that was that was one of the things he had said about when I asked him about, you know, some of those older songs, like if they'd ever kind of go back and, and redo any of them and stuff. And he's like, no, like, just in the sense that, like, all of those imperfections are there and for to go back and fix them, you know, that would that would probably ruin it for a lot of people, you know, like take something away from those songs that they connected to in the first place. It's also interesting to listen to a band like that, knowing that, you know, a couple years after this particular song was first released, you know, they would kind of like be that initial, that one of those initial kind of like moments before, obviously, like it, you know, the, that whole emo post hardcore world blew up and, you know, Jimmy World was all over the radio and, you know, bands like that were doing incredibly well. So it's interesting to hear kind of that progression and being like, oh, they're they're like on the verge of being that band that's about to kickstart it all. Um, I yeah. think it's I, I love going back and kind of being able to work through things like that. Um, but yeah, so the the next song that you picked is uh, is one that um, I mean I I've always loved this song. There's something I think is kind of hilarious about this song, sort of the song. Uh, We'll get to it in a minute, but um, from, uh, I guess, when did this record come out? Because on streaming services, it's only 
on the uh like it's only included on like their kind of best of record but um so it was 2000 or 2001 yeah like this is listed as 2001 which could be right but anyways because like on apple music you have to listen to this song off uh hope this finds you well which was of course the further seems forever like best of sort of thing but anyway that doesn't matter um the song is snowbirds and townies
man, whatever happened to the singer of that band? I don't think he went and did anything after that record. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Um, the, you so, can definitely hear like on that song, yeah, subject matter, and mm-hmm. it very much kind of foreshadows what's going to happen with Chris. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Um, so that that record did come out. Moon is down came out in two thousand one. So I'm I'm curious if on Hope This Finds You Well on like if it actually has the different year release for each track on it i haven't i haven't looked but uh Hmm. so so with further seems forever um were they were you aware of them before dashboard confessional or was that because like for myself it was oh man this this band this guy dashboard confessional he's he's pretty awesome and then you know people like you think he's awesome he's got this other band you know and uh so at that point yeah so how did you find I was among the the lucky few who knew about them from the beginning because I listened to Strong Arm and Bacon Andes. Right. So I knew I knew it was happening. I was like on their website and their message board. They had message boards back then. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in there like emailing the guys in the band, like fanboying over them because I loved Strong Arm. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. They 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 all responded to me except for Chris. I don't know what that says, but. that's so funny but yeah, yeah. i do i um, do so like i had their i had their like demos um they had a split ep i think it was with a band called the recess theory okay. um and it was two of the songs that later were on the album cool. um so yeah somewhere i have their like first ep that came out uh yeah pr- prior to the moon is down so yeah I, I was obsessed with them for a long time that's that's <laughs> awesome man like um it's funny because when when I first heard about Further Seems Forever, I'm trying to, like, I feel like it was another one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard that name before because, like, being a, um, you know, a fan of Tooth & Nail Records, I kind of had an, an idea of different things that were going on. At the same time, kind of when that record was coming out, I was, like, I had branched out more, right? Like, in the early days, it was like everything Tooth & Nail was releasing, that's what I was mm-hmm. kind of, like, really following, by the time 2001 rolled around, I mean, there were so many labels that I was, you know, kind of into and really, uh, and really loving, you know, whether it be Vagrant Records or Drive Through Records or, you know, Epitaph, mm-hmm. Fat Records, like all of them now, right? Like, um, so, you know, you kind of, the more, the more labels you're kind of digging into, you know, kind of the less you're finding with each of them type thing, right? Cause you're just all over the place, but but I do remember, you know, hearing that name and then strong arm. I was like, Oh, I remember strong arm. Cause like I had this DVD that was like tooth and nail the first, you know, six years. It was like their, all their music videos from 1993 to 1999 or something like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think um, I had that. <laughs> yeah. And so like strong arm had a video on there and uh, I was like, Oh, I remember those guys. They were the guys who I always got confused with stretch Armstrong <laughs> because of similar names. Right. But yeah. Um, so when I, when I, you know, finally checked out for there seems forever, I was like, dang, like, I really, really love this. And by that point, I want to say like, I mean, it must've, I'm trying to think if by the time I got into them, if Jason was in the band now, because like, if I, he must've been, because like I was listening to, um, like the places you have come to fear the most was like what got me into dashboard. And mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't know the years, like yeah, how it all so lines I think- up, but. I think Jason was in 2003, I want to say. Well, the um, thing is, and... like, the funny thing about that song that I was going to bring up is that if you watch the music video of it, it's actually Jason 
singing quote unquote like he is yeah. he is lip syncing to chris's vocals which i always thought was so weird and so funny but uh because it was it obviously not chris right like um it's jason walking down the street with his headphones on pretending to sing someone else's song but which is always going to be like a little bit awkward and weird you know to come in to a band as a yeah. vocalist and like taking over someone else's songs there are not many bands that could go through the lineup change at singer yeah. and still put out so many good records and so yeah. many records that people want to listen to yeah. they're like the musicianship of further seems forever hasn't really i don't i can't think of any other bands that do what they do yeah. um the chord changes the timing changes the tempo changes um the intricate guitar work uh kind of like a jazzy uh thing that one of their guitar players does yeah i don't know it's just it's mind-boggling that no one has been able to really reproduce what they've done and in, so it in, just stands out as special still yeah like in that specific sound i guess because like i mean modern base not modern baseball american football you know would do a lot of that kind of stuff but with their again with their own sound where it's a lot cleaner and a lot you know like softer mm -hmm. I guess might be the way to put it. Whereas, um, you know, like I don't see American football getting away with playing, you know, a festival alongside a bunch of hardcore bands, but further seems forever has been able to do that. And obviously, you know, as a musicians in that band, they were in a hardcore band at one point in time. Right. So it's like, they have those connections, I guess, but, but you know, they, they fit in and, and the hardcore kids like them just as much, you know? So, whereas I don't know if those same hardcore kids would be as into a band like American football but yep. you know, um, yeah, no, further seems forever. They've always been, they've, they've much like the get up kids, like from the moment I heard them, they're one of those bands. And it, it is crazy that, you know, like for that initial run, you know, they had a different lead singer on every record. Like that's a little bit mind boggling, you know? And then obviously they came really back and, and did a second record with Chris. And then there was, you know, the, the reunion with, with Jason. And then obviously the reunion with John never got to happen. Um, but, uh, yeah, like that's, that's one wild band, man. One wild band. <laughs> um, yeah. And the, the drums and the bass for both for the teams forever and the get up kids, yeah. they're both like so underrated. Yeah. I could just listen to the drums and bass from those bands yeah. and be happy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I actually got to see um, a couple of the guys in the band um, went down to Furnace Fest last yeah. year. So yeah. we got to see uh, Nice. Scenes Forever. They played a strong arm song too. So it yeah. Was, yeah, it was a good time. Um, it's funny because I, I had tickets to see them back. Like it was in the John Bunch days. Uh, and then like it was when they ended up like breaking up. They were supposed to come up here. Um, and play a couple shows or whatever. And then they ended up breaking up before it happened. And I just remember being so bummed about it uh, because I I'd never got the opportunity to see them. Obviously they are a band that's kind of, you know, back together and playing stuff here and there, but um, you know, I don't see them touring up here anytime soon. So if I'm ever going to see them, it's going to take like a trip to furnace fest or something like that. But um, yeah, I actually, I just bought tickets to the break fest okay, down in yeah. Nashville. Yeah. Cause they're, they're playing, uh, the moon is down front to back with Chris. Oh, amazing. I was like, it's yeah. probably never going to happen again. I'm, yeah. I'm going to drive down to Nashville, I guess. Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's also amazing that, you know, they were ever able to work that out like that, you know, cause 
I don't know all the intricate, you know, inside details of what happened when, you know, Chris first left the band. Like, obviously, he went and did Dashboard Confessional and, like, you know, what what that working relationship was like initially at that time. But um, for him to, like, come back, and even, like, I know people like complaints about Penny Black, but I still, you know, there are still some really good songs on that record. So, like, kind of like kudos to Chris for, like, having all this success and then being, like, I want to go do that again. And it's interesting because like, I think all of that success that he had with dashboard, I know when he started twin forks, a reason he did that was because he missed playing those club shows, right? Like playing in smaller venues. And uh, Mm -hmm. those are actually the first, my first couple opportunities to see Chris Caraba was when he was touring with twin forks, saw him a couple times. And then, you know, I won't lie. The, the first time I went, I was like, man, I just hope he plays a dashboard song. Um, because at the time (laughs) twin forks was still new to me. Right. And I heard that he'd been like, I think he'd done some sets where like after the show, he played like basically by his merch table, just him and his guitar played some dashboard songs. I'm like, that's rad. He didn't do that at the shows I saw him at, but he did play a couple dashboard songs. And then finally, you know, when he was like, I'm going to do dashboard again. I finally got to, you know, check that one off the list a couple times. So that was, that was awesome. But, uh, yeah, the fact that he went back to further scenes forever, it still kind of blows my mind a little bit and that he'll still do it, you know, from time to time. Um, yeah. It's pretty, and rad. honestly, I would love to have another record, whether it's Chris or Jason, I'd be happy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it'd be cool to see what Jason would do on another record, honestly, but yeah, I'd be I, I love them both. I'd be curious to hear what it sounds like with both of them. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess we get that with, uh, with, uh, hope this finds you well to an extent where it's just like, yeah. here's a Chris song, here's a Jason song. But, mm-hmm. um, even if it was like a couple songs, like, uh, that, you know, they were on together might be kind of neat, but I don't know that that'll, that'll ever happen. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, that band, that band will forever be one that, uh, I hold dear to my heart. So, uh, I was pretty pumped when you picked it. Let's, um, let's get into your band, shall we? Let's uh, do it. Yeah, so got you to pick three songs. The first one uh, that you picked is the title track off your 2020 EP. Uh, It's also the closing track off that EP. It's called Empty Places.
perhaps it would have made the most sense to save that song for last since it is a closing song. Um, but uh, uh, so I guess I got to ask who who's doing that really high vocal at the end there. That would be me. <laughs> well, well done, my friend. That was uh, the first time I heard it because it's kind of like obviously it's in the background, right? So you know maybe the mm-hmm. the first time I listened to the song or whatever, I didn't necessarily notice it, and then I happened to be listening one time, and I was like dang like whoever that is is you know going off so uh that's... that was that was a last minute edition um yeah. i just heard it and i was like quick 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 hit, hit record hit record yeah, yeah yeah and i just and it worked and we left it so it's amazing and i mean it, it you know i mentioned you know saving it for the end because it's a closing track like i think a good closing tracks have a you know like a closer feel right like where you are bringing something all together and wrapping it up in the end and um you know and doing something kind of special and different or whatever i guess maybe with that and i think like that song for sure accomplishes it especially when it kind of really gets to you know like the halftime version of the chorus at the end there when everything kind of starts coming together uh mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty great song also that chorus like when when you guys are singing like the the we run line where one mm-hmm. of you sings it and then, you know, like the, the echo sort of thing. I've always loved like that particular, um, you know, like musical cliche or whatever you want to call it, where, you know, like the a bit of a call and response, an echo type thing. And it just like, because before that you got like the, the pre-chorus, I guess you could call it, that's kind of like a halftime feel. And then mm-hmm. just that we run line opens up and it's like, oh, we're going, like, let's do this. <laughs> um, so yeah, why, why did you yeah. pick this as one of the songs? And that, that's actually our set closer to you usually. So yeah. <laughs> you nailed it's perfect. it there. Yeah, it's good. Um, but yeah, um, this one is, it just means a lot to me, like subject matter wise. Um, mm. The song kind of started out um, about our guitar player, Mike's uh, first marriage. Um, there's a point that his wife just up and left. Mm. He came home from work. She was gone. The stuff was gone and out of the house. Their dog was gone. It was just done. Mm. She ran. Um, and Mike is literally one of the best people I've ever met. Right. He is like a, like a brother to me. Um, and so it just weighed very heavily on me because I love him so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, and ironically, a few years later, the same thing happened to me, more or less. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it, like, it became even more personal. And so like we don't go a show without playing it, basically. Yeah. Um, it's, it just means a lot personally it it feels good having that release uh, for both of us i think so yeah that's i mean that's that's one of the the beautiful things about music is that release that you talk about and like you can feel that so so this song was written before that happened to you is that what you said Mm -hmm. yeah so regardless of you know having when you wrote it and recorded it having not actually you know gone through that yourself at that time you can still feel like like i said i think like when the chorus hits like there is that kind of release and especially at the end of the song when everything goes halftime and it's like you know like in my mind i've obviously never seen you guys live but i can just picture you know like everyone just kind of basically losing it if that makes sense you know what i mean like when a good halftime you know spot (laughs) kicks in and everyone is just feeling it like it's powerful, you know, sure. um, and uh, that's I mean, uh, that's amazing that you can, you know, f- you know, kind of have that relieve that tension or what have you. But um, yeah. at the same point, obviously I know, it I mean, sucks it's... that you went through that. But 
Oh, absolutely. But like, and the point of music is both to be catharsis for the musicians, but also yeah. hopefully to help people who listen to it. Uh, so that's another reason I picked the song because I think it's yeah. very relatable to a lot of people. Um, so if it can help, you know, one person even a little bit, then mm-hmm. we've done mm-hmm. our job. There you go. Um, so the next song that you picked uh, came off your record that you released last year, uh, which was called Wish You Well. And the song that you picked is Counting Seconds.
another song with a good payoff at the end. <laughs> I love that. Like I love I love songs that kind of like build towards something, you know, uh, a a bit of a payoff and um yeah, that song um what what were the lines that were being sung at the end there? If you don't want this, don't pretend you do. Don't pretend you do. Okay. I was trying mm-hmm. that was the word I couldn't figure out if it was pretend cuz in my in my mind I was like is sounds like don't dream that you do and that's just weird. But, <laughs> um so yeah, I mean this song was kind of born out of my everything that happened post-marriage yeah. I had taken a kind of a couple of years to myself to try to figure out what I wanted in life um and bear with me here so yeah and in June of 2020 I woke up in the middle of the night and realized that I had appendicitis <laughs> so so I get uh rushed to the to the ER have my surgery and during my recovery while I'm hopped up on pain meds, I'm talking to this girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the all we have are two small screens about about me being high and talking to this girl basically nonstop yeah. during my recovery. Yeah. So I was momentarily infatuated with her, and it it just kind of turned out that you know it was nothing really at all. Right. Um, but I guess the larger picture being the the frailty of relationships that take place entirely on our phones, yeah. um, especially during the plague years <laughs> like <laughs> the, when you finally meet someone or if you finally meet someone is it going to work out who knows it's, it's sure. completely different when it is you know in the confines of a, a phone yeah um speaking of the plague years <laughs> uh so how unsure were you when you wake up and you're like i need to go to the hospital like because that was still at a time where things were pretty like who knows, right? Like, cause, um, yeah. like I ended up it, with like right after, you know, kind of the pandemic began, like when things were shutting down, like I ended up with an abscess tooth that I was like, I got to deal with this. And they were literally like dentists, like my regular dentist was like, we're not open. I'm like, uh, what, <laughs> how do I do this? So like, there must've been some kind of just like, you know, it was unknown. definitely surreal. Yeah. Getting yeah. carted in and everyone is basically you know, fully masked, hair nets, everything. You can basically just see people's eyes yeah. um, as they're trying to talk to you. You're trying to understand while well, in a massive amount of pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just kind of had to trust the, the process and that they yeah. had figured out what they were going to be doing. Um, like, but yeah, it was that a little was, bit of a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and still at a time I feel where it felt like, oh, you're going into a hospital or, you know, you're going in, you're like, you're just going to get it. You're going to get sick, yeah. you know? And it was exactly. like... Exactly. I mean, to this point, I, I still, as far as I know, you know, like maybe I had it and I was asymptomatic, but I still haven't, you know, I haven't ended up catching COVID at any point, which I've been grateful for. But uh, there's, you know, just that uncertainty at different times. You're like, I don't know what's going on, man. <laughs> yeah. And now we're at that point where the weather is changing. It's like, is it allergies or is it COVID? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And, for, for the third year in a row, we all get yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, speaking of weather, I should have asked you. So where, where did the name for the band come from? Um, so since probably eighth grade, I have had a list of band names um, that's been ever growing. It has hundreds of names on there. And yep. basically I brought it to my bandmates and said, pick a name. Uh-huh. And that was the name that, that everyone didn't hate. <laughs> that's funny. But it, I mean, as far as where it actually comes from, um, I guess inclement weather in like the UK is called red weather. Okay. Um, so it fit kind of the theme of what we were doing at the time with kind of nautical sea imagery and whatnot in several right. of our songs. So 
I was going to make a joke earlier when we were listening, uh, when we were talking about the Get Up Kids, because like, um, the the song that you picked actually came off of like it was released a couple times, but one of the releases was the Red Weather and Woodson EPs, like that they were released together. Uh, I just said Red Weather, I'm pretty sure, but like Red Letter Day and Woodson EPs, <laughs> and I was like, I was gonna make a joke about like, it was like, was it is it a you know Red Weather Day? Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I was curious because I do I want to say whenever I searched Red Weather, there was a song that came up, and I was like, oh what. Um, Let's see if it comes up. Of course, like when I search it now, maybe it won't. Um, oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, the album by uh, by the band Chamberlain, which uh, not sure if you ever listened to them. I feel like I I must. That name is so familiar to me. Maybe I didn't listen to them. So I think there was there's at least two Chamberlains because I had never yeah. heard of the one that has that. But I think yeah. like one of the dudes from Amberlin or something was in a band called chamberlain with like one of the dudes from under i could be misremembering but i think that's that's possible i mean the lead singer of under oath his last name is chamberlain um so maybe maybe that maybe there was that but i'm just now i'm now i'm gonna go down a rabbit trail here but um someone will correct me online i'm sure (laughs) well that's that's fair i'm just because like when i look at when i look at the that band um and that record like nothing actually looks familiar so i'm like ah maybe i just heard the name but um, but yeah, there are a bunch of Chamberlains, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> I was just, I just noticed whenever I, whenever I'd like search for you guys on Apple music or whatever, that's actually one of the first things that comes up is that record. And I'm like, Oh no, that says Chamberlain. That's not them. So we'll move on. But, um, yeah, no, that, um, I, I, I love being able to, you know, kind of like hear the stories behind some of the songs, that artists bring because you know sometimes it's like oh i literally just wrote this and it doesn't you know it means whatever you want it to mean but at the same point i really love hearing like stories like some of my favorite songwriters are very you know kind of specific and deliberate with what they're writing so like someone like david bazan for instance like that guy Mm -hmm. will tell a story from start to finish in a song and it's you know obviously you can take different lines and things from it as you wish but at the same point it's like very obvious what he's singing about right yeah, so I love. I refer to this record as my divorce record. That's so, right. like everything is very personal. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, you know, yeah, actual events. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's nothing in there that I just phoned in. It's all you know, actual things yeah. that happen. And sometimes you were high on painkillers. It's all good. It's it's true. <laughs> Um, so, so the next song and the final song that you picked also comes off that record. Wish you well. Uh, the song is called Bend.
There you go, singing all high again. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, that there's there's a riff there towards the end that uh, it's kind of like the sort of deal, and it just it really reminds me of Blink, um, just like the, <laughs> the sound of that riff. But it's which is interesting because like obviously the rest of the song doesn't and then when that riff comes in for just those couple of you know like like bars or whatever it's like oh man that's awesome and then you come in singing really high and it's like <laughs> well you so the, the three songs that you picked they all kind of like build towards these big finishes is that something that uh you kind of like is that is that something that you just naturally sort of do or is that like what you're looking at going man i just love when those song when songs hit you at the end yeah um i think we always just try to have some sort of payoff in the song which frequently turns into me singing really high (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but that man that's awesome like it that high vocal there's like only so many bands that i can think of where i'm like that's you know like that's the element i love about them do you ever listen to um I mean, this would have been probably the early, was it maybe early, mid-2000s, but the band Edison Glass? Actually, no. They were... I heard of. Trying to think. I don't know what label they were on. I don't think they were Tooth and Nail, but I think they were like an adjacent kind of like, you know, kind of running in the same circles as Tooth and Nail and like their mm-hmm. bands. But anyway, they were they had a vocalist that, man, sometimes he would just like go off and I'd be like this is what I love about this band. Like, it's just like when that guy, cause he would like, you know, keep it contained and then all of a sudden just like, let it go. And you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And you know, I can hear that in, in your songs, especially like just really emphasizing, like you said, like that build as the song is kind of escalating, you got to take mm-hmm. it to another level somehow. Yeah. So why, why <laughs> okay. did you pick this song as uh as one of your favorites? This one was one of the, first song that we wrote for um the full length and it was heavily influenced by apple seed casts um, oh, and- shut up stop <laughs> shut the front door my friend like so okay yeah you finish finish i i, uh, I love the apple seed cast that's what i'll say but go so, on <laughs> so so me and brian um the drummer we are obsessed with apple seed cast every time they come around we have to see them yeah. um and so we just started riffing on this song and he was doing kind of like the things that they do on the drums with like all the little intricate you know yeah. bell chimes and yep, stuff like yep. that and it just built and built originally it was kind of like just pretty chill like the beginning throughout the whole thing and we were like you know this this needs to build and then as soon as we started putting the layers and layers and layers and layers it, it you can't stop just it just made sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, the Appleseed cast will. Um, I feel like I've said this about it, almost every band that's been brought up, but will forever <laughs> be like one of my favorite bands. They were like, I remember first hearing them going, I honestly have never heard anything because the first time I listened to them would have been for the record Two Conversations. And uh, so by that, that point, record? yeah, by that point, they kind of like really fleshed out their sound. Like, obviously, like early on, they definitely had more of a, uh, like, I would say, like, um, what was it? End of the Ring Wars or whatever that record was called was like very like, oh, you're heavily influenced by Sunny Day Real Estate, which is cool. But like it was, you know, it just was what it was. And then, you know, Mare Vitalis, they kind of start going from that to like really bringing in those post rock elements. And then Low Level Owls 1 and 2, they just like completely were just like, forget everything you know about us. 
uh yeah. you know and then from there they just became this band where i was like i haven't heard anything like this in this world at that point and absolutely one of, and one of the things like I, like i love post rock um but the thing i that drives me crazy about it is like how most, most of the bands don't have vocals when they sound like they should just have like some soaring vocal over the top. Right. Like they're so epic. And I'm like, man, if there was just something over the top, that would just like, (laughs) I feel the exact same way. Yeah. I love post rock, but I love vocals and it's so hard for me to reconcile those two loves. (laughs) Yeah. But Um, but yeah, Apple Apple C cast does it for me. Two conversations and Peregrine are probably my two favorites. Yeah. Um, well, but like Ring it, Wars has a special place in my heart too because that's where it all started. So. I was gonna say um, <laughs> the drums on Peregrine are insane. Like that's when so like Nate uh, Richardson from uh, I was gonna say from the Appleseed Cast from the Casket Lottery like came and played on that record, right? And it was like that's what I remember most about that record was how yeah. that that guy just absolutely crushed it. Um, but I love the casket lottery too. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so, yeah, there, I, I had the opportunity to chat with, um, uh, with Nathan Ellis from the casket lottery a little while ago. And I was like, man, you just write such amazing songs. <laughs> so I re- I'm so tempted to play. Did you ever get into the band moving mountains? Yes. I love them. Okay. So I don't need to play it for you then, but, um, like, so their EP forward, uh, which was just like that four song EP, which is great. Cause it's four songs, but it's like, how long is it? Does it 36 minutes? <laughs> um, but like the first track on that, I absolutely love because it's like this long post rock build. And then when it kicks in, Oh my God, there's a vocalist <laughs> and he's yep. really good. Um, he is. <laughs> yeah. So like that band, yeah, is... I got their stuff on vinyl over there. They're great. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yes. Yeah, so, like I have um, like the self-titled record and then the split they did with prawn on vinyl. Uh, but they are like, from the moment I heard them, they're such an interesting band too. Cause like my introduction would have been forward. It was either forward or Numa. That was like the full length right around them. Right. Which Numa's yeah. Numa's fine. I, I couldn't get into like the screaming so much on it. Um, like it's okay, but I just like, I just want you to sing really nice. Uh, so forward was great. But yeah. then like when waves came out, I was like, Whoa, now you like sound like thrice. <laughs> so this is like a yep. weird shift that's happening. And then like their self-titled from 2013, I often say like when people ask me, you know, what are your, you know, your five favorite records or whatever of all time, hands down self-titled moving mountains is number one. Like it is lights out. Good. The song Eastern leaves is like my all time favorite song. Like everything <laughs> that's like, so, so this will tie us, tie us back to, um, to your band in that, with the song Eastern Leaves, what I love about it is just how like one element builds on the next, right? Like yes. as that song goes through and then it just absolutely destroys you at the end when like maybe, okay, <laughs> you've, you've like, you've, you've hit a note for me here um, <laughs> because this is like some of my favorite bands that I don't often get to talk about on the show because they don't come up too Dude, often. Talk, talk away, man. So, uh, these buttons are my buttons too. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So the song Eastern leaves, there's the, like the bridge or whatever at the end where he starts saying, well, I hope that you know that you died in my dream. Or is that now I'm singing cascade. The thing is they have two songs that have like the exact same yes. melody line. And I'm like, what is, I don't know if you've ever looked into it, but like, what is the tie here? I got to, I got to figure out getting one of them on the show so they can tell me, but please, please do. And tell them to put it, put another record out. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's, guys, it's been almost 10 years. 
Uh, well, I guess they had the split come out in 2015. So we st- still a few more years till it's been almost 10 years. But um, yeah, like when I first heard Eastern Leaves and he went into that line, I was like, wait a second. Like, I know this. And I'm assuming it's 100% intentional, obviously, right? Like he's self-referencing there. But he, like the lyrics are different. So I'm like, I just want to know the story between those two songs and what the connection is and why, you know, bringing that melody back. But at the same point, that melody is what sells and makes the song for me. It's yeah, definitely. It's so I love good. that record. Yeah. Oh man. I love, <laughs> gosh, way, way to go. So let's go back to bend um, <laughs> before I like <laughs> sidetracked with the whole Apple. Screw sheet my casting. music. Let's go. <laughs> um, so, is it i mean this song like the chorus on this song i now hearing your story i'm like i can i can probably guess and you saying this is your divorce record i can probably guess what this song is about or can i um, not guess because i mean you're no, saying you can, like you can you can guess it. <laughs> yeah about how about how it's sometimes i can't remember the exact lyric now but like to learn to bend before you break um yeah like that and line, just like the the rigidity that some people have, mm-hmm. um, the the needing to be right, uh, and the inability. I don't know, when I picture it in my head, I'm thinking about like two flowers that are growing and like intertwining with each other, and they like they create a structure for one another to grow, right. as opposed to like one flower that is dominating and choking out life below it. So that's kind of mm-hmm. like what I picture in my mind yeah. <laughs> with yeah. a healthy relationship versus an unhealthy one. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where my head was at when I was writing the, uh, the lyrics for Bend. Not that this is the same, but the image that you just kind of painted there with the flowers, like either growing together or choking each other out. Like it, it, um, it kind of reminded me of, so are you familiar with the band trash boat? Yes. Mm-hmm. So a couple records ago, they released a record called crown shyness and, I remember being like, what the heck is crown shyness? And why is this artwork for this record? So terrible. <laughs> it was like my, my first thought. And then when I looked up what crown shyness was, it's just like, so when you're in a forest and the trees have grown up, how it'll be like trees that the, the branches actually won't cross over each other. They will literally grow around each other, creating this like canopy, right. That's actually completely like separate. Not that that's not what you were saying by any means you're talking about actually like weaving and growing and building together. But I was just like getting this sort of image where like with crown shyness, the trees literally stay away from each other. I was like, huh, interesting. But, um, that can be healthy too, man. I mean, I I guess it can. Right. Um, but, uh, at the same point, I think like they, I mean, they have, no, I could go on too late, too long. And it's already laid out there for you. So, uh, we won't, we won't sidetrack too much, but, um, I did want to say thank you for, uh, for taking the time. I think I want to say you reached out a while ago and, uh, and I was like, I would like to figure out a way to have you on the show. And this was when we were just like, um, it must've been maybe around the time that, uh, wish you well was coming out. Um, Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, I wish, I wish at that, at that time we were just kind of like really focusing on like, oh, the bands we grew up on. Right. So I was like, whenever new bands would reach out, I was like, I don't know how to like incorporate you (laughs) into what we do. And then we decided, I think, I don't know if Aaron and I, like, I just kind of got bored of always talking about like the same bands that we grew up on. So I was like, let's talk about new music. So I was more yeah. excited when I was like, oh, there's, cause I, you know, I had a few bands that had like reached out. I'm like, I'd really like to get you on the show, but all I'm going to do is just ask you about music you grew up on. And that's not that fun. <laughs> you know? So when we kind of came up with this well, format, is, we're, 
where we can yeah, kind of do blast. both. I, yeah. I love, I love your format and um, I've been a fan of the podcast and uh, especially the, the further seems forever one with the uh, yeah, with Chad. Chad. Yep. That was a great one. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's been my honor to, to join you and yeah, I really man. appreciate you having me on. That, that further seems forever episode was one where Aaron and I kind of like had to duke it out a little bit over who got to do it. Cause like, Em and I, we kind of have like, we, we grew up in the same world, but also have kind of like different reference points at a certain point, right? Like basically yeah. like, you know, kind of once those early 2000s rolled around, we started sort of going, I started going more the direction of, you know, the get up kids and further seems forever and that kind of stuff. Whereas he was like getting more into heavy stuff. But, you know, case in point, when I said earlier with further seems forever, they can play a, you know, a hardcore festival because hardcore dudes still like them. Um, Absolutely, you know, yeah. he's like, he was, he still one of those bands that he was into. So, um, rock, paper, scissors, sport. Exactly. <laughs> and I think what it, what it boiled down to in that regard was like literally just schedule, like who it was more convenient for, which, uh, he went out yeah. on that one. So <laughs> it is what it is, but you know, this was, this was a lot of fun and I, yeah, I am so glad that we got to do this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on.